Hey, 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 everyone. It's Fear Queer, episode three. <laughs> Yay, episode yeah. three. This is episode three, right? I think so. Yeah, because yeah. the first episode was like 20 minutes long. We were like, hey, like we didn't die. <laughs> anyway, so I'm B. My. And I'm Indy. And we are here with Tawny Tidwell of Houston DSA, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's me. Yeah, that's you. Hey, what's up? How are you doing? Good. Yeah, so we just want to talk about uh, Tawny's involvement with Houston DSA and their um, involvement with Harvey Relief because I know that Houston DSA has been doing a lot that's been going on here. Just because I look at your Facebook, I was like, oh my God, I'm so inspired. Like, oh, I feel like I should be doing all the things. Um, yeah. But... Sorry, Wendisha? Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, Tani, you've been killing it. Like, I, we're Facebook friends, which means that we're, like, very close to almost being, like, real-life friends. And <laughs> I see all of your, like, Harvey stuff. And, I mean, I think you're a goddamn superhero. I'm Thank so you. glad you're on the show. I'm so proud of you, by the way. Is that okay? Like, we're strangers. No, that's, that's wonderful. Thank <laughs> no, you. No, like, that's really, it's really fucking inspirational, actually. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, it, like I kind of feel like people have kind of, and I'm not going to lie, I'm guilty of this, too. But, like, people have forgotten about Harvey in a way. Mm-hmm. but don't realize that there's still work that has to get done and part of it is what you do which is what like demolishing like what flooded houses yeah we uh we usually refer to it like a lot of people call it muck and gutting okay yeah so we muck and gut houses um yeah it's also called demo work but i think muck and gut is a little closer to what it actually is because the house is still there yeah just the inside of it is gutted so. yeah so you gut it and are you rebuilding the houses or that is still up in the air because okay. that is a lot more complicated with like permitting and stuff so we're uh, looking into it okay yeah okay so before we really get into it i kind of wanted to make an announcement on the podcast that as of what like this past friday so when this yeah, episode drops yeah when this episode yeah. drops it'll be like next week um i came out as non-binary yay, yay. so it's been yay. a long it's been a long time coming um a lot of my friends have been like oh yeah we already knew i'm like oh okay then i guess fuck me <laughs> like i didn't have to make this whole <laughs> thing i guess but um, I don't know. Like I did a lot of self-reflection in the past like six is six ish months. I really it really kind of like was ringing in my head for the past maybe three. But it was when I started dressing a lot more masculine at work. But it only equate like, oh, like me dressing masculine or like shaving my head equals not cisgender. Right. Because I know that's not the case. But then I realized that for me, the way that I express myself like in my gender or lack of gender is the way that I dress, which includes my hair. And I think it's because when you grow up Latinx, um, and probably in black community as well, but I know this is very, very honing in with, um, in Latinx community, um, gender roles are very much, um, enforced. And so that's also tied in with your hair. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, like, yeah. And Disha's over there like, yep, I can, I can, uh, (laughs) I can attest to that. Um, I was just telling my roommate this the other day, hair is a huge part of, um, well, not only the black community, just communities in general. So it's like the first, it's the first thing people usually notice about you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that you were able to like affirm your identity through your haircut. That's very, very cool. Thank you. Yeah. And like I said, this is probably the fourth period in my life where I've shaved my head, but the longest period where I've kept a shave. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. it's too long. Can you <laughs> to go away? But again, like I kind of felt like I was a faker or maybe it wasn't really valid because I was like, again, I want to be like, oh, I have a shaved head. So that must mean I'm not cisgender. Right. But again, I used to say in the past, 
oh, I don't have a, an attachment to my hair. And that's not true. I think I do. I just have an attachment to my short hair. Um, and so now that I have a shaved head, I feel much better and more comfortable in my skin. And I actually just went shopping earlier today and I bought more masculine clothes. And I was very, very uh, discouraged in the past because I have really wide hips and really mm -hmm. big thighs, right? And that can make shopping a nightmare. But I went with um, one of my friends um, and she identifies as butch. And she was really patient with me. It was like, you need these kinds of material for your body because I have the same problem because she has like big old like breasts and is also curvy as well. <laughs> so I'm like, cool. Like, I feel so much better with myself. So I feel like I'm living in my actual true self. And as of right now, my pronouns are they, them. Um, it's a soft they like with my close friends or like the people I already trust in my life just because I know that if they use she, her, they're not going to automatically read me as a cis woman. But if it's people I don't really trust or don't really know, um, I'd rather use they, them. Um, and I know that you and I, Tony, are talking a little bit about, you know, pronouns and stuff like that before we start talking. Yeah. 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 I mean, we um, like I identify as non-binary, too. Yeah. Um, I tend to lean more like towards the word genderqueer. I think yeah. just because of like differences in language when I was coming to those terms. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're basically I don't know. I guess I don't want to insult people that feel one way or the other. Um, but yeah, like I use she, her just because I don't like to come out to my gender or come out about my gender to like right. straight people. Yeah. So it's just like a weird difference. Yeah. yeah. So it's like the, the way we feel about our pronouns, it's like opposite. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really interesting. Um, but yeah. Hey, so my over here is also non-binary. I don't know <laughs> oh. if a lot of the podcast listeners know that. Um, I don't know. I feel I like know. I maybe mentioned it last season. You may have. But we're also in season two now. So yeah. hello, refresher. Well, if you didn't <laughs> listen to season one, you probably fucking should. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm just curious, my when when you were coming to terms with your gender identity, when was that and what did it for you? Ooh, what a loaded question. Um, I so it, I guess it came out last year mm -hmm. and it took me about six months to actually get to the point where I was like, yeah, this is this is what it is. Yeah. When I found the correct vocabulary and terms for it. Yeah. Because when I was, I guess, first coming out, I didn't necessarily feel an attachment to lesbian or gay mm -hmm. or even bisexual. Because I was just like, none of that shit matters. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. And I also went to a camp. Oh, <laughs> I went to a camp. Uh -huh. I was like, oh. come on, everyone knows what yeah. camp you went to. I went, the gayest I, camp out yeah, there. I went to the gayest <laughs> camp out there because I also was like, huh, I can probably meet some people, you know, and figure this shit out. Because like I've been having this question in my mind and I have a, mostly straight friends that I hang out with that I'm pretty yeah. close with. And so I was asking one of my straight guy friends and I was like, hey, do you ever feel like... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> do you ever feel this feeling where you don't feel like you're supposed to be in the body you're in? And he was like, no. <laughs> you what that, are you talking uh, about? non-gender conforming feeling. I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, what the fuck? I guess I should go figure that yeah. out. Yeah. Well, um, I think, yeah, like going off of that, I think for me personally, it's like I feel comfortable in the body that I have. Like I don't feel a type of way about my bits or my body parts. I just don't think that they should be gendered. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, yeah. I actually really, um, I was thinking about this earlier today mm -hmm. because someone tweeted like, oh, like women only wear clothes 
like for the male gaze or whatever. And that's why their clothes are so uncomfortable and tight. And I was reading that tweet thinking actually like I wear tight clothes cause like it makes me feel more gender, like, like more right about my gender. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like I'm actually a big fan of my body, but I just like, don't feel like it's a woman's body. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like I, 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 that's what I was thinking about earlier too, especially when I went shopping. Cause I, like I went shopping and I had to go shop in the men's section and that kind of like reinforced that for me too. That's like, yeah, like I, I feel fine in my body and, um, but I, um, just don't think it, it's a woman's body. Right. It's, it's an AFAB body is what it is, but it's, but it's not a woman's body. Well, the thing is with that is like a lot of people say that, you know, feminine bodies like aren't allowed to, you know, wear these yeah, certain types of clothes or work in construction or, you know, be in these types of fields. And it's like, what does that matter? You're you're still upholding heteronormative, you know, like a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you got a hot take in Disha? You, you sounded like you're about to say something. Well, no, I completely agree with what everyone's saying. But yeah, that actually goes back to like this. Uh, what Maya was just mentioning goes back to this fucking rant that I was doing with uh, my roommate mm. Bailey. Uh huh. How we were talking about the whole like hunter and gatherers thing um, that people try to base on our society based on like, uh, like I don't know, uh, primitive cultures. How there was hunters and gatherers, like men went out and hunted and women gathered. Yeah. And that kind of incinerated that women were weaker and they weren't able to hunt and they weren't mm-hmm. able to do the things. They weren't able to go and find food. And I was just like. That's not necessarily the case. I feel like women were more gatherers and they had to stay Mm -hmm. at home because they were actually more um, valuable to the community. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, they could hunt, but there's a difference between if you have a village of seven people and two are women and the rest are, you know, men. If you lose two women, that's like the end of the village Mm -hmm. as opposed to leaving two men and you can, the guys can still go on. So I just think it's really messed up how like our whole society kind of based off as women or AFAB, sorry, being the weaker sex or being, you know, incapable of doing really strong things when it's actually the opposite. It's like, we can Mm -hmm. do all that and more. And that is the end of my feminist rant. (laughs) (laughs) That's the end of Indisha's hot take. (laughs) Well, that's the thing with like working also. It's like, I don't know, like construction, yeah. AFABs can't work in construction unless they're considered lesbian because then their male counterparts will, you know, won't think that they're capable of anything else outside of the emotion. I don't necessarily think it's a it's a thing of being capable. I think it's a thing of being threatened. And when yeah. men yeah. feel threatened, right. they yeah. feel like their masculinity is being challenged. They get really defensive and they say, oh, it's based on emotions. Oh, it's based on this. Oh, it's based on that. I'm like, no, you're scared because this person that you've like told your brain shouldn't be doing this stuff is kicking your ass and it makes you feel small. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. With, yeah. With but, that said, what, what's the demographic like with um, your so, um when we initially started doing Harvey Relief, it was a lot more like gender balanced, I guess, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we used to run crews of like, um, we used to run two crews. One crew went to Beaumont mm-hmm. and that was actually a pretty like female crew or like, um, like femme and women crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the crew that I worked on, which was always in Houston, was a little bit more skewed towards like being a really masculine crew, but yeah. still had like a few women on it. Um, our core crew though is, mm-hmm. um, it's led by me and a... I'm 90% certain that Colleen identifies as a cisgender heterosexual woman. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's led by me and Colleen and um, the other 
the other three to four people on it are all men. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. who I'm pretty sure predominantly straight men. Um, mm-hmm. But like we lead the crew, right? So it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Um, like a Cody is definitely the most skilled person on the crew. Mm-hmm. And he tends to kind of take on the more specialized jobs. But as of like this weekend, we started forcing him to like teach us like how to remove sinks from bathrooms mm-hmm. just because we were not sure how to do it. And it's hard to learn from men because they don't love teaching. <laughs> like mm-hmm. in the same way, like women will kind of just like explain something to you or like, like, Femmes will explain something to you, but like masculine people tend to kind of want you to know what they're saying before they start. Yeah. Which is kind of hard. Like we had yeah. to bring him back in like four times and be like, yeah. okay, I know you told us to unscrew <laughs> yeah. the thing, but like, we don't know what that yeah. is. And like, you know, we tried to Google it for a little bit, but yeah. we just gave up. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Do you think it would have been different if you were an, an AMAP person or an, a masculine person too? Uh, I definitely would have had an easier time like taking the authority. Mm-hmm. The first weekend that I led a crew, uh, I really had to fight a few of the, not the men in my core crew, but some of the men that were out volunteering that particular weekend mm-hmm. um, really fought me on things that I told them to do that I knew how to do and I was giving oh. them tips on. Yeah, but they, I had literally one guy say, well, I mean, I guess if you feel like you're the boss and I had to be like, I actually am your boss right now. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, 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 like they're questioning Yikes. your authority because you're an AFAP person. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. Yeah. But, but your boss saying not a leader because you're an AFAP person. Right, yeah. yeah. They, they can't just take direction from me. Like I literally had to go... Uh, I had like a little um, like meeting with uh, the one of our members is a contractor and he was mm-hmm. out that day like coming to check on us. And mm-hmm. I was like, hey, can you just come inside with me and just give me some of your authority? So like when we walk through the house together and they see us talking, like I know it will rub off on me because like a man has mm-hmm. like conferred it on me and he's like, sure, I can do that. Yeah. And that kind of sucks <laughs> that you have to ask a man to do that for you. Like, hey, yeah. like I like I need to like, you know, bounce off you to make so people can see me also as an equal. Yeah. Like that fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. But that's the reality of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would also say like it's kind of interesting, like since the crews have gotten smaller and yeah. we have kind of the same people every weekend, like we have a much more like no one would do that to me dynamic. Yeah. You know? But I think a lot of it is um well a lot of it is just that they're kind of more um, I don't know, feminist people, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um and that, but I don't want to say it's all that they know who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that they have like a better understanding that like there's not an inequality mm-hmm. between us, you know. But um, yeah, it's definitely a lot easier when you have the same people all the time. Yeah. So, so uh, just to be clear, the the organization you're talking about is Houston DSA, right? Right. Yeah. So um, how how did you get involved with Houston DSA, and how long have you been involved with it? So I joined Houston DSA literally the day after we elected Trump president because and that's okay. Democratic Society of America, uh, Democratic Socialist, Social. Why do I say society? <laughs> Democratic Socialist of America. There you go. That's what yeah. I was like. Uh, just making sure it's yeah. in my head. Uh, it's um. I had been so when we started kind of trying to elect Hillary Clinton president. I was real over that before it mm-hmm. got started. Um, I was like, I don't like Hillary Clinton. I hate the Clinton dynasty idea. Yeah. So I started reading. I was like, but I need to know why I hate it. Right. So I started <laughs> yeah. reading a lot. You're like, if, if, if I'm going to hate it, I need to know why. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I can't just like go in and tell people stuff without having like a really fully right. formed ideology behind it. Right. So I started reading a lot of like socialist literature and I was already like fairly radicalized, but I started like openly identifying as a socialist socialist. And, uh, when we elected Trump, I was like, I'm over it. Like I have to join some kind of organization and DSA is the biggest one. Mm -hmm. So I joined up and then I don't think I went to a meeting until February. 
So that was probably my first general meeting. And I just started Mm -hmm. trying to meet people. um, And I got heavily involved. I nominated myself and I guess gave a rousing enough speech that I got voted into um, the Houston DSA delegation to the national DSA convention in Chicago in August. Mm -hmm. And that was when I really, yeah. So August was a big month, right? Cause like that was the first of the Mm -hmm. month and I was in Chicago, like getting to vote on all these like national priorities. And at the end of the month we had Harvey. And so that was when I started like really embedding. Cause I went out, I have, I've been out every weekend with minor exceptions since the storm. So yeah. Wow. So God, how many like how many months has that been? Like six months? Then, yeah, it's right? close to six months now. Oh my God, that yeah. kind of day, the only kind of dedication I've ever had for that was a D and D campaign. So <laughs> <laughs> you're <laughs> listen. <laughs> we do have a D and D group as well, by the way. Oh really? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm have to click up with you about that. <laughs> Take that out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just oh my God, um, I'm gonna walk out of here. Excuse me, I quit. <laughs> We can say, Tani, um, since you've been um, in the actual aftermath of Harvey, like front and center since um, it happened, I wanted to ask you specifically, since you've been able to see what's going on with it and what the um, like relief uh, efforts have been like, what do you think Houston should do to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again since you've seen it firsthand, since you've seen like what fell apart and what stayed together? Ooh. I mean, there's, yeah, there's so much, I mean, we need so much investment in our infrastructure. We need mm-hmm. affordable housing campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, a significant amount of our affordable housing is in floodplains because that's the only mm-hmm. place that it's been allowed to be, like for people been allowed to build. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have all these communities that basically can't escape the floods right. because mm-hmm. that's the only place they're allowed to live. So like that's a yep. major issue. Sorry, I just hit the table and I won't do that again. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fuck. like, like yeah. gavel the table. How dare you? Um, Can you leave now? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just go. <laughs> um, so yeah, affordable housing is a big one. Like we need to not force people like lower income folks to live in these floodplains. Like they're in the hundred yep. year floodplains, a lot of them. And that's ridiculous. Like we have hundred year floods every year now. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. The infrastructure just isn't there. Like we don't have enough wetlands. We don't have enough porous pavement. Um, Zoning laws. Yeah. And we also need like better like seawall style infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're we're like probably years away from having like a major hurricane event like Katrina that brings the Mm -hmm. ocean to us. And that's Mm -hmm. not going to be any better than what happened with Harvey. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's just endless things that we need to address. And that's like, even before you get to things like, uh, I think something like multiple millions of tons of like benzene and other chemicals were dumped into our air during Harvey. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. So green and Right. Yeah. 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 So like people are still suffering like respiratory effects from that stuff and the mold. Yeah. Um, I remember I got really sick during Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone had like respiratory problems and it's like they, I don't know how many people know this, but the state of Texas actually turned off our air quality sensors during the storm. No one, they they said, yeah, they said they were, it was to protect the air quality sensors, but like most people kind of assume it was to avoid knowledge of how much, Pollution. Uh yeah, I got dumped into yeah, the Yeah, to protect to protect the citizens citizens by keeping them like willfully uninformed right. about what the fuck is going on. Now that's so funny because yeah, right after the hurricane, I remember being sick constantly because I yeah, already have me really too. bad allergies and I kept getting sick. I would go outside to walk my dog and I'd be like, dude, I can't breathe, and I'd see like stuff overhead. That is so 
crazy. Yeah. Well, not really. It's not, it's not really the craziest thing. Cause even what we were saying about the better infrastructure, um, back when I lived in Houston, I stayed with my mom and we lived in the low income, um, neighborhoods. So we actually got displaced, um, not from Harvey, but from the flood that happened in like 2013 or 15. It was around when I was working at Lush. Mm-hmm. We lost our impar- apartment because it was in a, uh, low, uh, low income area mm-hmm. right behind a bayou. So when it rained really, really hard and the bayou flooded, we were on the first floor and we, I had to move. Yeah. And I kept noticing the trend. Like whenever there was a storm, it was only certain neighborhoods and certain areas that would have their stuff messed up because mm-hmm. it's like the city only cares about keeping certain demographics um, mm-hmm. okay with their sewage system. But everyone else is like, oh, well, good luck, you know? Yeah, yeah. because I was going to say that I know a lot of low-income areas were really, really heavily affected by this. Mm-hmm. And I know that they're still suffering right now. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people that... So I also participate um, in build days with this group called West Street Recovery. Mm-hmm. They're uh, an anarchist collective that does rebuild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, there's such a great need for it. Like mm-hmm. the people whose houses we have taken the walls out of, I pretty much can guarantee you that they don't have walls even now. And mm-hmm. like, even if we took them out at the beginning of September, people are living in these communities in Northeast Houston in mm-hmm. particular that are just the same as they were right after the storm. Like FEMA is not really helping. Mm-hmm. Um, most people we talk to can't get FEMA money. They get denied. They're in an appeals process. Mm-hmm. We talked to this one older man who's disabled, yeah. And even trying to get money from the Red Cross, he had to, they sent him to a place where he had to stand in a three hour line. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're elderly and disabled, you can't stand in a three hour line. So they sent him and they were like, oh, we have a disabled version of this service, but they don't. And so it just was like, he got run in circles trying to get $300. So Jeez. yeah. Yeah. Like, and Thanks. I'm also looking at uh, y'all's website here that undocumented people are also um, suffering right now just because they can't, well, it's not they can't, well, that and they're afraid of asking for resources because they fear that if they reach out that their um, status will be exposed. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right after the storm, um, when we raised all this money, Mm -hmm. um, we raised over $120,000 and we set priorities. Yeah. We were blown away. We thought we would raise like $10,000 and that was our reach goal. And we would hand out granola bars, you know, yeah. like from a truck or something. Yeah. Uh, but but we, it was 120,000 you said? Yeah. We actually Jesus. ended up closer to 130, I think in okay. the end, but yeah, like something above 120. I don't yeah. remember the exact number, yeah. but we got together and wanted to set priorities for how that money would be mm-hmm. used because, so we, we basically split it into thirds mm-hmm. and we did a third a third goes towards the program that I co-lead with Colleen, which is the Harvey Relief like muck and gut team. Mm-hmm. A third of it went directly into financial aid that we, uh, anybody who came to us for help, we gave them um, at least a $200 gift card to Walmart, mm-hmm. if not more help in some cases. But the mm-hmm. final third, um, we donated entirely to an organization that works with undocumented folks mm-hmm. um, on everything from housing to healthcare to domestic violence concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, a condition of our donation is that we're not allowed to talk about who they are because yeah. it would spotlight the community. Uh, well, but yeah, yeah. That's, so, that's, that's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's just why I'm not naming it or I would tell you who it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the organization is amazing. They give out food, they mm-hmm. help people find housing and they deal with pretty much everything that you could ever deal with in mm-hmm. life. Um, and we just, 
uh, when we were interviewing organizations to give it to you, we were like, this is the one, like we mm-hmm. need to give it here. So what was the organization you mentioned again? What was the name of it? Uh, the one that works with undocumented folks. Oh or, no. Yeah. No. I'm like, I can't name that no, one. No, 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 not that one. It's, oh, oh, so that's the one that you can't name, but the one that you gave the money to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I was trying to follow you. I'm like, wait. Sorry. Yeah. First rule of fight club B. What? <laughs> oh, the first rule of fight club. Yeah. First rule of fight club. You don't talk about the organization, the undocumented people. So other than being this like badass superhero that saves lives and helps to rebuild the city of Houston, what else do you do? Like what else are your interests? Um, I would say primarily right now I build socialism um, as much as I can. Like that's, that takes up so much of my time. I run the um, Houston DSA queer and trans working group, mm-hmm. which y'all should feel free to come I know. To. I'm so sorry. I'm a piece of shit. You always <laughs> invite me and I'm like, I can't yeah, go that? for one reason or another. Yeah, tell us about that. So DSA is made up of a lot of different like interest groups, right? Like if you have something that you want to work on in DSA, mm-hmm you have free reign to like form a working group around that issue or that identity or whatever. Like the, um, there's a national like Afro socialist caucus. There's Mm -hmm. a national queer caucus. Um, there's a disability working group and locally we do not have a disability working group or an Afro socialist caucus, Mm -hmm. but you know, just to kind of give you an idea of the national landscape. So, uh, locally we have like a feminist socialist group. We have, um, my group, which is queer and trans. So like we basically just try to get together and talk about like for our first meeting, we read this essay called capitalism and gay identity, Mm -hmm. which was really interesting. And we just kind of talked through like how, um, um, like the American, like how American capitalism like shapes the way that we view being gay in America. Um, and we're hoping to eventually start doing more like issues positions where we can go out. Uh, like a couple of us went and helped with, um, T-Latch, the transgender legal access clinic, Houston. We did intake with, um, mm-hmm. like trans people who were at their name and gender change clinic. Yeah. So that was a really cool project and we're hoping to work more with them. Danae is, I think their main lawyer. She mm-hmm. kind of got me into it. Yeah. But it's a really cool project yeah. and we're hoping to work with them more. I re-upped my notary status so that I could notarize name and gender Ooh. change. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. And you also <laughs> go to the gym a lot, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess, <laughs> I guess I mean, lifting on. things is yeah. my other big yeah. thing that I do. Socialism <laughs> gym. <laughs> yeah, because I, I follow you on Instagram and your hashtags say swoletarian. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Block. You got to be ready for the revolution. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Somebody's got to lift all those barricades. Yeah, yeah this is true. <laughs> so superhero, but also gym rat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Major gym bro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We we're just talking about bro, how we we're all like, oh. Like bro is such a like endearing term. Yeah, yeah, I love the word bro. Like I identify as a bro. Like yeah. that's kind of a good shorthand for my gender. Yeah. <laughs> my pronouns are bro and brosif. <laughs> um, but so yeah, doing with all the work that you have been involved in, I kind of want to know what does socialism mean for you? Uh, that's a really big question. Yeah. So, <laughs> so answer it. Hopefully I will not ramble too long. <laughs> that's okay. And I'll try to make it short, but to me, ramble away. Socialism is meeting the needs that people have so that they can live in like a, in, in freedom, right? Like mm-hmm. freedom to do the things like to create, to like have the relationships they want to have yeah. to live as like full people. Because like mm-hmm. right now we're so constrained by like having to make money so that we can mm-hmm. live that we don't really have time for projects. I mean, like 
that y'all have time to do this podcast is like such a blessing, right? Well, thank you. Um, yeah. And so it's like a creative thing that y'all can participate in, you know, and like everyone should have access to being able to do things like this because people are fundamentally creative. Right. So to me, socialism is like you have all of your needs met and Mm -hmm. are able to be who you want to be and be with who you want to be with. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's maybe like a very general idea, but it meets all of the, you'd have a house you can live in and with like, you know where your food was coming from without having to worry about it. And there's not this competitive scarcity aspect to life that absolutely is just a construct of our society and doesn't really need to be there. Yeah. I kind of want to circle back with the uh, queer and trans group that you say that you run, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, How long have you been doing that? Uh, We started in September. Or no, I guess we started in August. Of last year? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. Harvey and... Harvey was like in September. Harvey was at the, yeah, the end of August. So we didn't have a September meeting because of Harvey. And we didn't have a November meeting because of Thanksgiving. So it's been like, we do not have right now like a consistent group of people. I would love for us to have that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just so that we can work on like a longer term Mm -hmm. um, timeline on things. Yeah. So right now it's really just about building the group. And another important aspect of it is that in DSA, no one is a leader by just choosing to be. Mm-hmm. And right now, so like I'm the interim chair technically of the yeah. group, but all of our groups are supposed to be led by two people who are elected by the group. Mm-hmm. So I keep trying to get people to consistently come to meetings so that we can elect people to run the yeah. group. So it's not just me because that's not very democratic. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, what are some things that you're hoping to achieve within that group? That? Besides getting another person, getting more people <laughs> consistently come, like, 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 what are some things that you're hoping to get out of that? Other than like, oh, I hope more people can come. Uh, I'm hoping that it can be a bridge for DSA into building coalition with other mm-hmm. queer community groups. Mm-hmm. Like, I would like us to have a very good relationship with like T Latch, for example, the mm-hmm. legal group I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier. I would like us to be involved with like Equality Texas Mm -hmm. and I would like people to think of the DSA as a like a partner organization in queer issues. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think that we are going to be leading any issues based organizing anytime soon on that front. But we can provide, you know, volunteers and we can Mm -hmm. provide um, a space for people to kind of like go back and forth between like socialist organizing and queer organizing, which to me overlap. Right. Um, Because, you know, like queer folks and trans folks need housing and employment protections that they don't have. Um, it's all intersectional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the way I see it is it's more, it's more about coalition building for me than it mm-hmm. is about the group itself having like specific like policy or issues, goals. It's yeah. Right. Yeah. And Houston lacks that. Oh, surprisingly. Yeah. There's a bunch of us and there aren't that many radical groups that are actually doing things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There are, but you know, we can probably name them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Also, to me, the um, queer is also a radical identity for me as well. I was talking to somebody, I, I think, was it you, Mike? I can't remember. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, because we always talk about that gay shit, TM. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> but Intellectually I can't, gay. Yeah, things. right? But I can't remember who it was I was talking to. But anyway, so I was talking to a friend of mine that was like, yeah, I feel like for me personally, uh, queer is a radical identity for me. I can't be left-leaning or radical with, with, without my queer identity, right? Like, to yeah, me, yeah. like, they go together. Like, like I don't know. It just blows my mind when, when, when someone who identifies as queer but, I guess, isn't 
like doesn't give a shit. Right. Like, like that bugs me. I'm like, mm, yeah. Sus. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how, how to expand on that, but no, I think that to me, queer is like removing yourself from a conversation about binary identities. Yeah. Like you're like basically saying like, please exclude me from this narrative. Like I'm not mm-hmm. interested in putting myself in a place on like a, your hetero lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not trying to relate to people based on like not being heterosexual or whatever. Yeah. You know? Like, I, like I don't want us to relating on the only basis that we're not heterosexual. Yeah. Like if we can't talk about why, you know, queer and trans people need like employment protection or housing or equal pay or anything like that. Like if those are things that you don't care about, then we're not going to get along. Yeah. And to me also, like I think of queer as like this, um, like how people go into this whole like love is love thing. I'm like, well, to me, being queer is more than about like being in love with someone. Like it's a full separate set of values where I feel like I reject a lot of society. Like the nuclear family is not my thing. And like, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that I am married for health insurance reasons, Mm -hmm. um, like I also reject like the concept of marriage. And I think that that's part of like, for me, like identifying as queer is like, there are these alternate community structures we could build in place that mm-hmm. are better for people and less alienating yeah. than the ones that capitalism wants us to live in. And so, yeah, to me, it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Can I do like a small self crit and admit that when it comes to different groups that kind of like preach about being radical, I don't have as much um, knowledge about them. Like for me, I, I focus more on like my own personal type of, uh, I guess, perseverance than like actually joining a group. I was actually talking to one of my friends in Portland who's um, really involved with like different groups and everything else. And I told her I feel bad because I'm like, well, I know there's so many changes I need to do, but mm-hmm. it's hard to know where to start first. Um And when it comes to like politics and as far as like queerness in itself, like she was telling me basically like, yeah, like you are pretty much embodying like half of what the job is like just existing in this world, being a person of color that's not straight is radical on its own. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to different um, groups and different like communities and everything else that you can decide, do you have any pointers for like which ones would be more beneficial and which ones aren't? Because I want to get involved more because I mean, I definitely feel passionate about these things, but it's like, I don't know where to start and I don't know which groups would actually have my back and which ones just want a token black person on their side. <laughs> are, you know? uh, Indisha, are you asking more for like national organizations since you do live in Portland or? Just in general. Yeah. Like okay. na- not necessarily important uh, in Portland, just like national organizations that you feel like other than like the D- obviously the DSA, but <laughs> yeah. like what, <laughs> What are some of your pointers for like other people listening that like, yeah, I want to get involved. I want to join something that I can, that actually like has the same values as I do. Like what are some pointers that you should like look for or stray away from just based on your experience um, being in the DSA? Got it. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I wouldn't say I know this from being in the DSA, but just from uh, when I used, so my background, I've been a reproductive justice activist for probably like a decade now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um probably one of the best places to get started um, is actually just like your local abortion fund is usually a pretty radical organizing mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to be like people of color led. They tend to be um, people who are looking for a more intersectional answer to questions than a lot of other groups will be because they're mm-hmm. looking at not just reproductive rights, but the concept that like you have to have, you know, the economic means to access mm-hmm. those rights 
and right. what that means for people and how like, you know, it primarily affects like low income, like people of color and, mm-hmm. um, especially like really marginalized identities, like low income people of color who are trans. Um, so mm-hmm. like abortion funds are really radical organizing spaces. There's also this group called, um, Southerners on new ground mm-hmm. or song. Um, and they do some really great work. Uh, another one would be critical resistance, which is a small grassroots prison abolition organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're based out of Chicago. I could be wrong, um, but they do some really great mm-hmm. literature and stuff uh, that I keep up with. And then, um, hmm. Monkey Wrench is good. Yeah. I like Monkey Wrench a lot. Yeah. Like, basically, anarchist spaces yeah. are usually pretty solid, but it's really dependent on how many, like, white people are fucking it up or not, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, mean, like, I mean, just being real. Source, like, sometimes you're a white person. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of really bad organizing, you know, happen. And um, I'm sure I've been guilty of it as well in the past. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just like anarchists are usually pretty solid. Um, the local socialist alternative here is pretty good if you're not into DSA. Can't speak to Portland spaces. Um, I don't, like DSAs and socialist organizations in general are very like geographical, you know? So mm-hmm. like what happens in Houston DSA may be very different from what happens in like Portland or, um, I can speak to, Chicago or something. Yeah, yeah, I will say that, uh, Chicago's, what are they called? Chicago's South city or South. They're going to hate me when they listen to this podcast, <laughs> whatever the South side of Chicago's DSA chapter is called. Yeah. They're really cool. And their sister branch in New York, um, Bronx, upper Manhattan or the bums are extremely dope people. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the only two other chapters I can really speak to. Mm-hmm. Oh, and North Texas is also really good. Mm-hmm. Um, their lead organizer is a Latina who is, um, a second generation immigrant and she does so much amazing work around like DACA and mm-hmm. all kinds of other stuff. Um, she's definitely worth a follow. Her Twitter is KK Stephanie. Um, definitely recommend mm-hmm. checking her out. She's very radical and cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the first organization or really resistance work that you've done? And yeah. Like, like what was the first thing that they did that you're like, okay, yeah. Like this is going to propel me into a life of like being a superhero <laughs> and doing all the things. <laughs> uh, I think the first thing that I ever did, um, was I used to clinic escort at Planned Parenthood Gulf coast, mm-hmm. but that is, I just want to like for other people who clinic escort, you're doing much harder work than I did. Um, the Planned Parenthood Gulf coast location is built to basically deter protesters from being a big deal. Mm-hmm. They can only really stand on this little strip of grass on the other side of a sidewalk. They can't even get into the parking lot. Like they used to be able to really harass people mm-hmm. when it was on Fannin, but that's not when I was escorting. So like that was my first experience. And then, um, over time I got into like being on the Lilith fund hotline and taking calls and returning them to fund people's abortions. Mm-hmm. And I joined the board from there and that's when I got into really good. Mm-hmm. No, like that's when I stopped being as liberal as I used to be, I guess, and not as into like electoral politics and stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, still go vote, but I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Vote like yeah. voting is harm reduction for sure, but yeah. it's not. Especially everything. locally. Yeah. yeah. Especially locally. locally yes, yeah. please. I mean, like I know that people like, get um get really hard over um like the like at the national level like the presidential elections and even state but you gotta pay attention to your local elections y'all like Mm -hmm. like literally the shit that's gonna affect us the most is the local yeah no and we're actually um 
minor Houston DSA shout out is one of our members is running for criminal court eight in Harris County. Um, So if he becomes judge there, he's going to like do a lot of amazing work around keeping people out of prison. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, actually, I don't know what I can say. He, I can't say how he will rule on cases, but I can tell you that his values align with like making sure that people only, you know, serve sentences if it's necessary Mm -hmm. and stuff. I don't want to get him in trouble with, I mean, I guess I can't. I'm not like on his campaign officially, but you know. <laughs> what's his yeah. name? Yeah, what's his name? Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, it's a uh, Franklin Bynum. I think I've heard of Franklin. Yeah. yeah. He's very, he's yeah. got a great name for a criminal court judge. Yeah. Bynum. <laughs> Franklin Bynum. Are they queer? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how Franklin identifies. Yeah. Yeah. But it's got such a nice ring to it. Like it's so nuncy. Franklin Bynum. <laughs> Please walk across the stage and get your certificate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like you're, you've lost him in the grocery store is what it sounds like to me right now. Please <laughs> <laughs> come to the register one. <laughs> oh no. I remember I used to get lost as a child all the time at the grocery store. Yeah, me store. too. <laughs> Um, so, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up, Tawny. Um, but before we do, I wanted to ask you, what are some ways that people can get involved with Harvey relief if they're still really interested? Cause obviously there's still, there's work that still needs to get done. Yeah. Um, if they want to join us on our Houston DSA Harvey team, we meet every Saturday at 8am at Bohemios, which mm-hmm. is at 708 telephone road in the East end. We give people breakfast tacos and a free t-shirt and we also feed you pizza for lunch and we're out from about nine until 3 PM and otherwise check out West street recovery for doing rebuild work. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess that's about it. Is there any other plugins you want to put in? Yeah, like, do you have a Twitter or something? Yeah, Twitter. Oh. Yeah, I mean, y'all are definitely welcome to follow me at SP0KA. It's pronounced Spoka. Mm-hmm. It is the Ikea nightlight that's like a chubby ghost, <laughs> but it is also me. <laughs> <laughs> I promise it's me. Okay. (laughs) Tawny, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us. This has been really, really fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, And don't forget, y'all, to follow us on our Twitter. It is Veer underscore Queer HTX. Follow us on our Facebook page as well. It is Veer Queer Podcast. Please like and share it. And please find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a rating if you can. That'd be so amazing. And a review. Um, But other than that, uh, thanks for listening. We will see you at the next episode. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.